Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Strength and Speed owner, Evan Preparis. I don't have Brent on the line, but I have substituted another co-host. And no, it's not Miles Keller. It's another female, one of the members of the Strength and Speed developmental team, Leah Hensley. Leah, welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Yeah, you may know Leah from, used to be the Battle Corps team. You might know her from a bunch of dogs barking in the background. (laughs) You might know her from... um, she represents Neptune now, in addition to Bro CR and Strength and Speed. So, yeah, Leah, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. And before we get to our special guest, we'll do a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Juice Performer. So, Juice Performer offers two types of uh, juice for pre and post workout. So, for pre workout, they have a beet juice, which is very earthy tasting. Um, does not have any added sugar, so that's cool. And, you know, I think we've all been around OCR long enough where we've heard some of the performance benefits of beet juice. So that's the good, that's the good for pre-workout. And then their post-workout, which they just came out with last year, is called Cherry Performer. And, again, it's just cherry juice, no additional additives, no additional sugar. Uh, really good. I highly recommend both of them. And, actually, I just took the inside tracker test, which where they actually take your blood and they analyze it and they give you some recommendations based off that. And one of my recommendations was actually drink more cherry, uh, drink more uh, tart cherry juice, which I felt bad about because I had like a closet sitting it uh, full of it, and I just haven't been drinking it recently. So I'm actually sitting here right now with a can open, drinking it as we record this. If you're looking to get a discount on them, um, I think it's one CTG fifteen gets you fifteen percent off if you order from Amazon.com. All right. Today's guest, we have Jason Goggins on the podcast. You might know Jason from when he was on TMX last year or when he was on Broken Skull Challenge. You might know him as the owner of Black Diamond Obstacle Course in Ohio. Or you might know him from when he finished top 10 at the Masters Division in 2016 at the OCR World Championship in the short course. So, Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. And uh, I'll apologize in advance. Uh, I am outside. I've got three dogs, so if they see something running by, they're going to bark at you. So. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Well, we want to talk about a couple different things this episode. One is we like to highlight smaller series. So I know you just did Mud Ninja, so we're going to talk about that a little bit. Okay. Two, we want to talk about what it's like to own your own permanent obstacle course facility and some of the challenges you face with that. And then three, we want to talk about some upcoming events going on at Black Diamond, which I know includes the DRX games, which we've talked about on this podcast before with Christopher Belvin. So let's start off at the top. So I know you did Mud Ninja recently. What was that like? Uh, it was good. Um, I, I know you've been there before, too. Um, and I, I know you were uh, you had some successes and you had some, uh, some uh, I don't know what the, let's say lack of success due to some issues with the course itself. And uh, that played true again this year. Um I think a lot of times with the small courses, the you know, with so much going on and trying to handle so many things, and we'll get to that when we talk about the Black Diamond here in a little bit, um, some things get left behind. And a lot of times when the folks who are running 
the event uh, aren't racers themselves. The last thing they think of is marking the course properly, and that was another issue with the Mud Ninja this year. Um, I heard a lot of complaints about that, but that's really the only complaint. Um, but that does affect the uh, the outcome because everyone's trying to fight for those ninja swords that they give away. And when you got some people doing the course for real and some people cutting the course or some people doing longer parts because they get lost, then it uh, becomes a sour note for some people. Not that's me myself. I, I, I ran my race. I'm not sour about it at all. I didn't get a sword this year, but uh, it is what it is. So, um, But uh, all in all, it's a, it's a great race. It is part of our Ohio OCR Grand Slam here. That was the fourth out of five, the fifth race was just this past weekend so all five are now done for the season um the black diamond Austin course memorial days mayhem race is the first one in that series uh we also have indian mud run which is you know nationally known now because uh hubie's got his uh floating walls up in uh noram and in canada and, and uh, all the championship races um mud ninja is another one uh the uh what's the other one <laughs> shoot oh they're gonna kill me the anthony's up in toledo um Black Swamp Dash. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, and then Nightmare Challenge was just this past weekend. Those are the five of the OCR Grand Slam. So the great thing about, you know, you asked me about Mun Ninja. The race itself was a was a great race. It's it, it's got everything you come to expect. Uh, the mud part of their name is 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 pretty true. They they have tons of mud pits that smell like your armpits, and um, uh, you definitely get muddy. But it's a it's a pretty challenging course, and they they keep it bringing in new obstacles every year. But the great thing about that event is that it is part of that Grand Slam, and all five of our races uh, try and work together to help promote each other and uh, and try and kind of make a cohesive uh, unit. Uh, we're, we've even had discussions about trying to do a point series next year uh, where we tally the points across all the races and give out extra awards for that. It's frustrating to hear that they haven't taken the, the course markings into account. I've done one Mud Ninja back in... 16 i believe and it was the same same issues that back then as, as you're saying now yeah I, I, that's been a i, I hate to uh to you know I, I like the guys and they're part of our group and i don't want to downplay their event and it's not just them it's there's been other issues with other races as well um but yeah that, that has been a consistent problem with mud ninja with the with the, mm-hmm. the course marking i got caught up in it this year and it was very easy to to miss the mark here it's a that course itself is an ATV course primarily, so they do a lot of ATV races there. So they will, they'll have us on an ATV track, and then they'll cut us to the left or to the right or something. But that trail obviously goes straight ahead too, and all they have are two little blue signs instead of just a simple caution tape that goes across um, mm-hmm. to easily mark it. But I think it comes down to the fact that they aren't racers themselves, so they don't you know they're they're going down their ATVs, they see the easy turn. You know, they, hey, we put a marker here. Everybody should see that. But, you know, when you're running and you're trying to watch your footing so you don't trip on one of the rocks or the ruts, it's really easy to miss a, a simple marking. So if, you, if you've got that tape up, uh, I know that's one thing in my course that I try and uh, strive myself on that nobody's going to get lost. So I've got I've got course markings on both sides. There is not a single spot unless you go over that course marking that you're going to get lost. Yeah, I was there in 2016 also, and similar experience where – we, like, I was in the lead pack of, like, 10 dudes, and we actually ended up – I guess we took a wrong turn someplace because we ended up merging back into the main field. So we went from, like, 1 through 10 into, like, place, you know, 20 through 30. And, you know, like, we're, we're basically fighting our way back up to the front. You know, and we're trying to, like, politely move past people, and they're getting upset because we're like, excuse yeah. me, you know, coming through. And they're like, hey, we're trying to run our race too. And it's like, I, I know, we're, we're, like, the top 10. 
And uh, yeah, the, I'd say the top probably five guys made it back up to the front. So the oh the overall winners of the race still were the correct overall winners. Uh, but if you were in like sixth through tenth, which is where I was in, uh, you ended up not in the correct place. Yeah, that that, that kind of happened again this year too. Same same basic idea. The first it was more like the top twenty this time because I was I was even a part of that first group and. Luckily, I was in the tail end of that 20, so I was able to turn around and, and uh, not have too much damage. But, uh, yeah, it was it, it happened again. It happened in a couple places, apparently. Yeah. And I think, you said, like you said, you know, it's it's easy. Like, if you're walking the course or maybe riding it, it's easy to be like, all right, well, this is an obvious turn. But when you're running and your heart rate's through the roof, and like you said, you're watching your footing, a lot of times, you know, people are like, how did anyone get lost on this? It's like, yeah, it's when you're, you're moving that fast and your heart rate's that high, it, you get, like, tunnel vision a lot of the times. Yep. Absolutely. So. What's it like, Jason, when you're running? Because you, you have a, a unique perspective being a course owner and an athlete at the same time. There's there's not very many um, actual, you know, owners and designers that are competitive athletes as well. So, I mean, where do you find yourself when you're running? Do you see, like, does your brain flick off into, like, <laughs> oh, now, see, if this is my course, I would have done this differently and that differently, or is it just focus as you're running and forget everything else? Uh, I mean, it, it depends on the time, but I do know specifically because the Monday is the last race that it is, so it's fresh in my mind. But the, the, the first place where everybody got lost, as soon as I saw it, I'm like, wow, that that really should have been marked like this or like that. I mean, I, I am – my goal on my race is to be uh, – the races that I direct – uh, to make it as easy as possible for everybody to understand where they are and where they're going. Because the last thing you want is somebody to come and complain that they got lost out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I I overdo it, and I, I err on the side of caution. And when I see other races not doing the same, I get a little disappointed. But at the same time, it's you know it, you got to take a little bit of responsibility on yourself as a racer as well to pay attention. They told us at the beginning to look for the blue signs. We missed the blue signs. They were there. So it's not like they they weren't there. It's just that we didn't see them. So um, could they have been better marked? Absolutely. Um, but they were there, and they told us to look for them, and we just missed them. So it's kind of, you know, it's it's uh, it's a little bit of both, I guess. But, yes, my, my brain does click into race director mode sometimes. But a lot of times, as Evan said, I've got that tunnel vision where my heart rate's, you know, sky high, and I'm just trying to focus on not falling and and, uh, and breaking an ankle and, and try and keep going as fast as I can. Right, right. So before we get talking into Black Diamond, uh, a couple more comments I want to hear from you about Mud Ninja. So I know you didn't earn a sword this year, but I believe you've earned one in the past. Tell us about the finisher prizes, both medals and age group awards. Yeah, I've got um, I've got two um, swords, and I've, I run it four years. I've got two swords. Um, the uh, they're they're highly coveted. Um, they're great uh, show pieces to put on your metal wall. I've got all my medals and awards hanging in my office wall, so every time I get to add to that, it's nice. Uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a fitness director facility as well, so uh, all my clients and, and training training members get to see that and see that I'm, I'm actually practicing what I preach, so I, uh, I enjoy that aspect of it. Um, they have, uh, for the age group awards, they've got three different sizes of swords, so if you've got the big long one, you've won your age group, and if you've got a little short one that's about maybe 12 inches long, you've got third place. And then they have... Um, they changed it this year. I can't. I don't even know how to explain what the overall winners were, but they're much nicer, bigger katana swords, if you will. Um, yeah, we're not talking like chintzy little tin swords here. Like these swords are pretty badass. Oh, these are these are the real deal. I mean, if you wanted to sharpen them up, they they do come dull. But if you wanted to sharpen them up, they they'd be real swords. 
So they are they're very nice. And actually, this year the they've been in the past kind of a little bit more novelty. The the sword itself is a solid metal, but the uh, the sheath that it comes in and the handle is a little bit not you know I mean it's it's not for use. It's obviously for show. This year it looks like you could actually go out there and sharpen that thing up and use it. It was a solid piece this year. I always wonder when people win stuff like that when, at, at these races. Like, they have to fly home, and and they're not <laughs> checking bags. Like, what do you do? Just walk out of an airplane with a sword or a shield That's or a gauntlet or <laughs> all these cool things? It's a good question. I, I've never had to deal with that yet. But, yeah, that's uh, I don't know how you get a... You know, a three-foot sword on an airplane. Evan, have you had to deal with that stuff? Uh, luckily, I've not. All the swords and stuff and, like, spear and gauntlet, all that stuff I've won that was really big, I ended up – I was driving to those, so it ended up working out well. I will say I went to a bodybuilding competition in 2014, and they gave me, you know, a fairly big trophy, and I only had carry-on. And when I put it in the bag, they, like – they stopped and had – they maybe do an extra search because the base was, like – solid so it was when it was look, looking through the x-ray it was just like this like right. solid brick basically um beat someone with a trophy yeah you need i guess you need to either buy a bag or have someone ship it or yeah. you know there's there's a couple different options there but it's it definitely makes it more difficult yeah and the the swords this year i think i saw one of amy Paget's pictures of it she it looks like uh reminds me of a claymore sword so it's like it's like the william wallace sword i mean they're they're pretty <laughs> big so. yeah they are that two-handed type guy. All right, and uh, let's talk a little bit, a couple about the obstacles, and then we'll move on to your course. Give me a couple of the obstacle examples from Mud Ninja. They they added a couple new ones. Um, there's one that's got a it's a it's a metal truss, and it, it reminds me of a rope hang, but it's a uh, a PVC pipe that hangs from the top with just two ropes. If you have any moisture on you at all, you're not getting up. Um, mm-hmm. but they do say on the rules at the obstacle that you can use any way you can to ring the bell at the top. So when I got there, I tried the, I tried the PVC pipe. It wasn't happening, so I just climbed up the truss and rang the bell. That's what a lot of people ended up doing, which it's a great obstacle if you drive, but they send you through a, a, a mud crawl right before it, so there's virtually no chance of getting dry. Um, so I'm not sure how you're getting up that if, if, you're, if you're not using the truss. But... It was still a, an innovative obstacle. I think they could add one more rope at the top to make it uh, doable. And then they've got the, my favorite one that they have is, um, you know, I don't even know what they call it, but it's got like a little trampoline that you use in gymnastics. You know, when you're going a, uh, a not a pommel horse, what's the one where you run down the lane and jump off the, the, the vault? The vault, yes. Yeah. So they have one of those trampolines there. You bounce on that over a mud pit and, and try and grab onto a hanging cargo net and then pull yourself up. I remember uh, that one. That was a fun one. Yeah, that one's pretty fun. That's uh, there's, there's a lot of good wipeouts on that one, too. So it's uh, mm-hmm. it's not only fun to do, but fun to watch as well. Yeah, especially at the end of the day. I remember going back after the race and playing around on it and, like, eating it pretty hard. Like, mm-hmm. you, know, you go to jump on the thing and you just, like, slip off and miss and just slide right into the water. You're like, oh, that's embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. Some, some of the springboards work better than others, too. My first... When I, when I was racing, I went through it twice this year. When I went through the first time, my springboard didn't bounce at all. So I did one of those, Ooh. you know, like <laughs> jump up, and I went about two inches and fell straight in the water. That was fun. Um, but that's the second time around, it worked I like, That's one of the things I really like about doing these, the short, like the, the smaller local races, because without, you know, they don't have as many people coming, and they can do some of these more innovative, just fun, put-together obstacles that you won't see at some of the bigger productions you know, companies. Absolutely. Yeah, they don't have to be ready to, uh, you know, tear down and build back up and, and easily uh, assembled that way. So mm-hmm. um, the uh, diversity of the obstacles is definitely uh, up there. 
for sure. Cool. Now let's move on to your facility. So about it was about two years ago you opened Black Diamond Obstacle Course. So I guess yep. take us through the process of how that started. You know, where did you get the idea and some of the challenges you faced, like open, essentially starting a brand new course? Well, um, gosh, this has probably been in the works for five years now. Um, I, as I said earlier, I'm a fitness director at a facility. Um, I've been into OCR, for, you know, taking it seriously for about five years, but I've been racing for about seven. Um, and I, I started doing a training course called, I don't know, OCR boot camp or whatever I wanted to call it. Um, I don't remember what it was earlier on in the days. Um, and we were training specifically, we had a six week course training for a Spartan race because uh, Spartans come into Ohio. So, you know, we had a couple tires and a rope climb and, and not much else. And we were just basically doing boot camps outside. And I saw this, uh, you know, overgrown tree area in the back of our facility. And I'm like, I wonder if I could build some trail back there. So I started uh, really short. I did like a, not even a tenth of a mile, probably, a, a you know, a fifth of a mile or a five hundredths of a mile. What is it? What's, what's half? Less, less than a tenth. <laughs> it was okay. small. Let's play it that way. <laughs> so I built that out so we could get used to some trail running. Um, and then as I was building, I'm like, why don't I build a quarter mile? Why don't I build a half mile? Um, so really for two years, I just kept adding on to the trail. I hadn't built any obstacles yet. I was just building trail and, uh, I eventually got it up. So it was uh, 2.2 miles. We do have an extension where we can make it a 5k, um, which, uh, uses a bike path that's, uh, attached to our property, which, uh, is nice too. We can actually make it longer than a 5k, but it's just running. Um, but actual cut trail, I did most of it myself, just going in there and pulling and cutting trees out and cutting weeds out and, and building trail. Um, and by the time I got the 2.2 miles, uh, after two years of doing that, I was the whole time working with my, uh, my facility, trying to get some funding for it. And, you know, it still took a while, but I got some approval, really small amount of approval, uh, to get some lumber and start building obstacles. Luckily, I had a, a friend of mine, Jay Richards. Uh, who's an architect who was out of work for the summer. He got laid off. Um, he had nothing else to do, so he helped me build pretty much the well, whole Well, that's course. convenient. That's yeah, that, that worked out very well for me. Um, so it was perfect timing. Uh, he designed, like, I, I designed the obstacle. He designed the actual architectural aspect of the arc, of the obstacles, and we went out, and it took us about six weeks to put uh, 20 obstacles in. Uh, not all of them are constructed. Some of them are man-made. We have a couple uh, sternum checkers that are man-made, just fallen trees that were just at the right height that we uh, added a launch pad to. Um, you know, some hill climbs and some other obstacles, uh, big boulders to climb, things like that, uh, that were man-made. But a lot of them are are, uh, are constructed obstacles. The idea behind it is was to build it as a training course. So we mimicked a lot of things that you'll see at a Spartan race or a battle frog or a lot of battle frog now but um you know some of the bigger races so so you could come and train in our facility and be used to or comfortable on those obstacles when you get to the bigger races um and then once we got to a point where we were kind of self-sufficient and running our own thing i started doing some of our own obstacles so we've got uh four or five obstacles that are unique to our facility now that nobody else has that i'm pretty proud of so um it's it's been a long process it's been as i said five years or so in the making obviously not when I initially started this, I had no idea where it was going to go, but I'm, I'm very happy and very proud with where we are right now. Now, for those that don't know, we keep saying Ohio. Where where are you located in Ohio? Right smack dab in the middle, Columbus, Ohio. So we are in uh, Bexley, Ohio, which is a suburb of Columbus. We're literally minutes from downtown. 
uh, right in the, right in the middle of the state. You gotcha. And then take us through though. You said you have like four or five unique obstacles. What's what are those obstacles? Yeah, so right now we've got a, a grand total on the 2.2 miles. We have 36 obstacles out there. Wow, so um, that's my kind of course. So that's my kind of course too. That's I mean that's that's my bread and butter. It's a short course. The more obstacles, the better. The longer the the course gets, the worse I do. So I built this kind of you know to be a little uh, selfish around my my skill set. But um, <laughs> uh, so some of the ones that we've recently had, we have a one called the Diamond Cutter. Uh, if you think of American Ninja Warrior and their cliffhanger obstacle where they're hanging from just a two by four on a wall, usually mm-hmm. in Vegas on like stage two or three, I can't remember which one. Um, so picture that on one side, then there's a, a V monkey bar in the middle back to a cliffhanger. That's our uh, diamond cutter obstacle. Uh, we've got a, um, it, it seems v- fairly simple, but we have an Irish table that we have, um, but it is thicker both height-wise and width-wise than any other one that I've seen, and it is it's probably, to be honest with you, the toughest obstacle we have. Uh, oh, Leah would love that people. one. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not made for you, Leah, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> it is six feet, six feet six inches off the ground. And, oh, uh, even better. It, yeah, <laughs> if you can't get up to the top of it, usually on an Irish table, it's only about eight inches across. Ours is 24 inches across. So if you've never uh, met Leah, Leah, how tall are you? 410. Yeah. Right, so it, it's it's not built for you, unfortunately. But no, no. Now, speaking of this, what is your philosophy on your on your race? Do you guys do penalties, or is it mandatory completion? So we, we've done it a couple of ways. We're trying to experiment on which way is the best. Uh, most recently, this last race, this past Memorial Day, uh, we had uh, some elite heats, and they had a band, so it bands over burpees type thing. They have to complete the obstacle uh, to be in the running for awards. Uh, so if they did not complete it, they got their band cut. We did, I, I'm surprised because I try and make my, my course accessible to everybody, but, uh, we had a large number of bands that were cut. Um, and then for the open heats, I just want them to go out there and experience it. Uh, you know, they're, they're getting time still, but there's no awards for them. So, uh, if they don't want to do an obstacle, they don't feel comfortable on it, or they give it a couple tries and they can't do it, then, you know, what, move on to the next one. There's no burpees there either. So that's my philosophy. I'm not a big fan of the burpee penalty. But uh, going back to some of the other obstacles we have, uh, we've had a new this year, uh, one called an undercarriage, which is uh, just four feet off the ground. Uh, think of a low rig that you got to traverse underneath it, but it's all made of wood. Um, it's like a, a ladder that you're uh, traversing underneath. It seems very simple in design, but when you actually get underneath there at the point that it is in the course, it's much more difficult than it would seem. There's a lot of grip strength and a lot of uh, uh, grip endurance and muscle endurance that's needed for that one. Uh, that was one of our, our racers on Memorial Day. That was one of their favorites. Yeah, that's a cool one because when you're moving, like, when, that's not a normal position people practice where you're, like, low and horizontal to the ground. Yeah, I know that, right. that uh, you know, that low rig that OCR World Championships had mm-hmm. two years ago and that Green Berets Challenge has, it was, it's just, like, awkward sometimes. You're just not used to being in that, like, I'm tucked into a ball or I'm stretched out, you know, parallel to the ground trying to move across. It's just not something we right. get to practice very often. Yeah, you can't, you know, you can't get your body involved in the swinging at all, and you got to keep that core tight and keep your legs off the ground. So for our, for our, for that purpose, um, if you touch the ground at all, you, it's a, it's a fail, so you got to start it over. Mm-hmm. See, I um, like those kinds of obstacles because, again, my, my height helps me on those for once. 
<laughs> well, that one, I think on this one, this one might hurt you too because there is a reach involved. Each of the bars are about two feet apart. Oh, even so, better. Yeah, so if you've got your feet on one and you're reaching across to the other, you're about four feet stretched. Wow. Um, which, which gets you about to your limit there. Yeah, um, pretty much. <laughs> then uh, we just added another one too. I just finished it uh, about two weeks ago. It's called Ring of Fire. So what this is, it's an eight-foot wall. Okay. And at the top of the eight-foot wall, there's a 45-degree slant that sticks out another four inches, and it comes back towards you. Um, and then there's uh, rings hanging from the top of that. So the idea is you climb, you run up that eight-foot wall and leave leave the wall and try and grab onto the rings and then pull yourself mm. up and over the obstacle. So, again, not uh, not one built for short people. No. <laughs> but, I know. I'm, I'm cutting you out of this one altogether, though. The ones but I'm it sounds about here, right? cool. I mean, it definitely sounds like you've got a, a wide variety of obstacles as opposed to just your typical, you know, hop over this wall and carry this over here and, you know, go under that wall. And, you know, it's, well, it's, it sounds like there's a lot more involved, especially for a short course. It sounds exciting. That's, we do have a lot of the carries and a lot of the, the normal obstacles mm-hmm. that you're going to see. You know, with 36 obstacles, there's only so many different ways we can do things. But, oh, for sure. Um, we do, as right now, my goal is obstacle innovation. So anything new that I'm going to add is going to be something that hopefully isn't seen anywhere else. Um, you know, I, I love the uh, the idea of trying to get creative with uh, the different obstacles. There are so many different things that you can do. It's just finding a way to build it and, and get it to work. So that's that's my goal now. Sounds good. So how many races a year are you putting on? Uh, us ourselves, um, we have done, so we've done a Thanksgiving race two years. We're no longer doing that. The weather just doesn't seem to work out for that one. And uh, we've this is the third year for the Memorial Day Mayhem. So we've had five races all together that we have put on. Uh, the DRX games that's coming up, we're just hosting the events. We've done a couple of those where we're just a host site and other mm-hmm. races have come and used our facility. Um so that's probably the way we're going now is we'll have our own race once a year, and then we'll do another couple uh, hosting events throughout the year. But before we go to, you know, to the DRX stuff, what is some of, like, what, what was the biggest thing that you've learned or you wish you would have known when you started this that you know now? Wow, that's a big question. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know how to answer that one, really. Um, there. It just the whole the whole thing itself has been a learning process. I wasn't um, a builder. I, I I mean I could some you know kind of muddle through and get some things put together, but um, having Jay out there with me that, that first build that we did, I learned a ton on how to construct things like this and the proper fasteners and the you know the load bearing options and how deep on the ground we got to go. So luckily now that I'm building all the obstacles on my own, um, I'm able to do that fairly well. I feel. Um, so that's one thing that I learned that I had no idea I was going to, you know, I figured, Hey, look at that. It's an eight foot wall. You just put two posts in the ground and, and put some two by fours on it. Right. No, it takes a little bit more than that. Um, you know, so, so that's part of it. Um, just the whole, I, I think the aspect of, of putting on an event is way more difficult than a lot of people, uh, understand. So, you know, they go out there and they see a price tag of a hundred, hundred twenty dollars for a Spartan race, or actually probably even more than that for a Spartan race. Um, but I don't think they understand what all goes in, goes into it. Now, I am certainly not advocating for Spartan because um, I, th- I think they overprice for their, their races. But the local events that are really moderately priced, you know, in that 50 to to $100 range, mm-hmm. the amount of work that goes into putting on one of the events just from cutting the course and marking the course and cleaning the course and having volunteers and water stations and, and the obstacles up and ready to go and 
the timing company there and just the amount of stuff that it takes to get an event like this on, even as small as we are. We had 260 people at our event, and it seemed like there was just thousands of people there because of the amount of work that it took. I mean, it starts our day. Our, our race is May 28th, and I am starting now to figure out what's going on for next year. That's how long this thing takes. So that's probably the biggest learning curve that we had uh, is just figuring out what all it takes to put an event like this on and do it right. Right, right. That's awesome. Yep. So I'm sure by hosting stuff, it'll take some a big load off of that off of you guys. Yeah, we'll take a lot of the administrative side and, and put that back onto somebody else. All I got to do is just make sure the course is ready to go. Yeah, I think as athletes, sometimes we get into this mindset where, like, you know, 95% of the, the race is perfect, and then all, like, that one thing that bothers you is the only thing you focus on. You're like, oh, I can't believe they didn't do X, Y, or Z, you know. I, I can't believe they didn't have a DJ at the festival area or something something completely <laughs> random, right? right? And I think it's easy to it's easy to sit back and nitpick an event, uh, but when you're actually hosting it, it's it's just a lot more complicated than I think anyone truly realizes unless you've physically done it. Absolutely, and you know what? That to that DJ point, that is something that I almost dropped the ball on this year. I I didn't have a DJ, but we did have music. Luckily, because the uh, race timing company, you know, like two weeks before, I'm like, crap, I don't have any sound or anything going on here. I got to talk to the race company. What can they do for me? So it's just, you know, it's me. I'm I'm pretty much the only one planning the my event. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like that slip through the cracks, and that's that's the way it goes with a small a small thing like this. I mean, we don't. You know, you talk at the the bigger events, they have full-time staff that are working on these things, you know, uh, in multiple different spaces all over the country. Um, and, you know, they they have resources to do that. Our uh, our small races, uh, it is pretty much the, the race director and maybe one or two other volunteers that are putting this thing on. And there are a lot of things that, uh, a lot of moving parts and a lot of things that need to happen to make sure that it goes off smoothly. And, and when they do and when things work well and even when they don't work well, you know, if you look at that 95% that worked well and 5% that didn't, really think about that 95% that worked well and uh, and how much work was put in just to get that done. And then it's also going to be different per athlete. Like, I just read a review from someone who's complaining about a race, and everything they cited as a complaint, I wouldn't have even noticed. You know, it was, it was stuff like about the festival area and volunteers not being at water stations, and I was like, like, you could have no- – the festival could be completely empty for me, and I wouldn't yeah. even care. Right, like, Me too. as long as the course is marked well and the obstacles are good, and mm-hmm. you know there's a you know a rank order or timing system in place, and there's some sort of like recognition for the the, over, the you know the top three or the age group, whatever. Like that's you know really all I care about. Because um, I'll have I have my own fun on the course. I don't need the festival right. area. But right. you know some people it's all about like that post race beer, right? So if there's no there's no post race beer, they get upset. So. Yeah, I know. I know for my race, um, we had medals this year for the first time. This was the third time we've done it, because for me, I don't I don't go to races to get the medal. If they're nice and all, and I, I'll hang them up because it's something to show. But if I didn't walk away with the medal, it wouldn't hurt my feelings one bit. Um, obviously, if I finish top three somewhere, I want to bring something home. But um, you know, if 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 it's just a participation medal, it's not one of those things that's on top of my head. So I didn't have them the first two years, and that hurt our attendance. And I heard from a lot of people that hey, if you had a medal, I would come. It, it it doesn't suit my style, but okay. So I listened, and, and we did that this year, and, and we got more people because of it. So. Oh, I believe it. I used to be a, a self-proclaimed metal whore and, and run around chasing <laughs> medals and the bling and all that. You know, as, as you are in the sport more and your priorities change and, you know, all that shifts, 
but for your, you know, your weekend warriors and the people you're trying to build your numbers because, you know, that's the bread and butter of the races. It's not the elite racers that 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 keep a race running, you know. So yep. I I can see where where that is, you know, will entice more people. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when I transitioned in from road running into OCR, I was shocked that they gave out medals for stuff like you know, Warrior Dash. I was, it was just very bizarre to me. It was like, why would I get a medal for something that's shorter than all of my workouts? See, and then I switch over to road racing, and I do a run, and I get to the end, and I get nothing. I'm like, really? Like, where's my medal? Because <laughs> <laughs> I did OCR before I started doing anything else. Yeah. I don't. I know CTG didn't do medals until I think it was 2015. Like, the first, like, 2012 and 13, and it might have been 14, too, like they had like a, it was like a magnet. It was like I conquered the gauntlet, and it was just like here's your magnet. Thanks for coming. <laughs> you know, and then again, same thing. Like People... a magnet to put on your fridge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. That's better than nothing, right? <laughs> but now, obviously, they have medals now, and the ones they have this year are super nice. Um, if you haven't yeah, seen them, good. yeah, they. Th- so last year's medals was kind of small. There's like a lion head, and they actually. So I got to see some of the behind the scenes. They. They ordered them, and they were supposed to send, like, a proof, and they basically just fulfilled the order completely before they officially, like, approved the the size. So they, uh, were, they were much smaller than the company wanted, but they already had, like, you know, whatever, a couple thousand produced. So it was like, all right, well, I guess we're going with this for this year. Um, so th- this past year, they made, they made sure the medals were a lot nicer and bigger, like the appropriate size that they wanted. Um, so if you want some of the backstory behind that. <laughs> I still need to get out and do one of those races. They, uh... I'm not a big traveler with the families, so uh, they're just too far away. Do you have any idea, Evan, if they're ever coming out to uh, a little further east? Not looking like, in, at least for the next year or so. Yeah. You know, with uh, both main prize families having a newborn baby, you know, they're just trying to stay a little more local. And then it's just, you know, as you try to expand, your cost starts incre- increasing as- exponentially because you got to lo- lug all that equipment out there. And then on top of that, you know, your your core group of racers are not present there. So you have to attract new right. racers to come in, which means you have to spend a lot more in marketing. And if you're spending more in marketing, then you may, you know, your essentially your your bottom line, your profit's going to be lower. So, right. Um, I got all that. I was just asking for curiosity. So. Yeah. No, I, I'm not, I, I, don't have, I don't have complete behind the scenes access, but I know for this year, they're focusing on their, you know, where they've already built their brand strong. And we'll see. Basically, I think they'll see how this year goes and how next year goes, and then we'll, you know, kind of take it from there. Cool. Let's move into talking about DRX Games. Now, I know you're hosting that. So, how did that come about, and what's that going to be like? Well, uh, TK and I uh, have been in uh, TK. Uh, I don't even know how to say his last name. Uh, well, let's just call him TK. <laughs> yeah. He's uh, he's the guy who uh, who runs. Uh, is the race director for all the dirt runner races and for the DRX games. Um, this will be his um, seventh DRX games, I believe. And he's, he's been hosting them at uh, the dirt runner car course in uh, Chicago. And from what I understand, they're closing down and he doesn't have that relationship anymore. So he's looking to take his show on the road. Um, I know he's bringing his dirt runner event to another course here in Ohio in December. And we will be the first uh, road show for the DRX games. So um, he's he's looking. His core belief, and what he has told me, is that he wants to support the local race companies, the small race companies like mine, um, and help get their name out there by bringing his race to their events, so or to their courses. So that's uh, 
we've been talking for uh, a number of months now about doing this, and uh, um, I, I'm pretty excited about it. Our registration is pretty low right now, so hopefully this will get some uh, some some buzz out there. But as you know, speaking to your uh, CTG and expanding there, it's it's a lot of it because his home crowd is from Chicago. So this is building a whole new, uh, you know, the, the marketing aspect of it and trying to introduce this type of event to folks in this area is a new thing. So um, I think once this first event happens and people see what it really is and see how much fun it can be and, and uh, you know, they're still running an OCR. They're just doing six things in front of that. So, um, so, so for those who are not familiar with DRX Games, explain the format a little bit. So it is a one event, and each event is scored individually. So you could get dead last in the first event, and if you do really well in the next six or the next five even, um, you could still win the thing. So it's a total points thing. You get a certain number of points for winning first, second, third, fourth, and so on. And at the end of all seven events, if you have the most points, you win the DRX games. So um, the last event is a short course run on the Black Diamond. The first six events are basically, you know, a minute or less. Uh, there's max rope climbs in a minute. There's max tire flips in a minute. There's max box jumps in a minute. There's a, a bucket carry filled with cement that's got a, a course for time that you got to do. There's a tire drag you got to do for time. Um, I'm missing one more here. I always forget what the last one is. But uh, anyway, they're, they're those types of events. So it's really it's it's six one-minute all-out events where you're trying to go as fast or as hard as you can. You get as close to good a score as possible. You, you see where that stands, and then by the time you get to the race at the end, you kind of know where you need to finish. Do I need to win this race? Do I need to beat this certain person or that certain person? Or, you know, hey, hey, I won all all six of the first events. I can finish dead last and still be still be the champion. So that's kind of the way that plays out. One way to, to describe it, I, I personally have competed in the DRX games uh, three times. Awesome. Uh, no, two times, two times. Um and it's it's definitely a unique approach to OCR. Um, I I enjoyed it both times that I competed. I would compare it for for those who are familiar with TMS, um, that Tough Mudder does. It's a combination of carries, the all-out max effort, um, you know, exercises combined with then the OCR component of a short course race. Yeah, that's kind of how TK sold it to me, too. Since I had been on TMX, he's like, hey, it's just like that. We tried to say it was like Broken Skull, but I don't think there's any wrestling involved. Not. No, I wouldn't compare it to Broken Skull, but I would compare it to TMX, though it's not, um, you know, for those who are intimidated or, you know, not really digging CrossFit. It's not you know, specific CrossFit movements like TMS does. Right. They're more obstacle-based, you know, things you'll see on an obstacle course race, potentially just broken into individual events. Correct. Yeah, for me, it reminds me of, if if you've ever watched Strongman, it reminds me of that kind of format (laughs) where you do an event and then you rest for a while and then you do an event and then they rank you and that's kind of determines your overall score. But obviously a lot lighter weights um, because it's... It's it's even, even, uh, you know talking about what's going on now you know the crossfit games just finished over the weekend it's it's Mm -hmm. kind of similar to that too where they do you know three or four events in a day obviously they aren't as long as those events and they aren't as uh you know combined where you're doing a couple different movements but similar to that too where you're you're working real hard and then resting working real hard and resting Mm -hmm. 
Cool. So you got DRX games coming up, and that's August twenty uh, fifth, I believe. Is that correct? Twenty sixth. Twenty sixth. So Sunday. Yep. Right. And then, yep. what's your next event at Black Diamond after that? Right now, we've got uh, the Memorial Day Mayhem would be the next one. So Memorial Day Mayhem uh, two thousand nineteen, which is, gosh, you put me on the spot. I think it's I think it's May twenty seventh this year. Obviously, it doesn't matter. It's Memorial Day. Um, yep. The one thing about our our course is that we're a, we're housed at a Jewish agency, so we cannot have events on Saturdays, and um, so that's why most of our events are on holidays or on Sundays. Uh, we're all of our events actually, so that's why uh, some of the timing and the and that's why the, you know the we build our Memorial Day Mayhem around a holiday because it's easier to to handle for us. So, yeah. but then we're also we're also working with a company um, who does a corporate challenge. Um, we haven't nailed down a date yet, but that'll be sometime next year, probably in the uh, late summer, uh, early fall time, where uh, we're going to bring a lot of corporations around here, and we're going to you know, challenge each of them to bring the best team that they can and come out and do the course. We'll either do teams of two or teams of four and build it that way, but that's something that we're definitely going to do. We just haven't nailed down a date yet. Well, that sounds fun. Yeah, and we always have um, open training days as well throughout the year. Uh Right now, in order to be a black, you know, to come out to the Black Diamond, you either got to come and race, or you got to be a member of the JCC, the Jewish Community Center. Um, but we have open training days where we invite the community to come out and, and train. So we do that quite often as well. Okay, so if I'm just passing through the area, let's say I'm driving through Ohio and I want to come work out there, I I can't unless I'm a member. Is that correct? Uh, well, if uh, if, if you, uh, I'm I'm winking as I say this. If you uh, okay. find the right person to talk to, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe his name's Jason. I don't know. And you, you, you tell me your story and what you're doing. I let you come out there for sure. But okay, um, good to I know. I know nobody from I know nobody from my facility is going to hear this, so I can say this pretty plainly that um, <laughs> I have tried and tried and tried to get some sort of membership pass in order for folks who are driving through or folks who live in you know Cincinnati or Dayton or someplace that's relatively close that don't want to become monthly members to the center because what's the point they aren't going to use a facility unless they come and do the the course right um to try and allow that um i'm still working on that but if they happen to reach out to me and say hey i'm going to be in the area on thursday can i come and try the course absolutely i'm going to let you do that so so my goal with the with the black diamond is to have it open and available for everybody i can't have it just open all the time they do need to reach me because we do have a daycare or preschool and a, a summer camp that goes on so there's licensing things that happen and and uh, the course does kind of go around the outskirts of those, so there are, there does need to be some sort of uh, a notification to me uh, that you're going to be coming out. But I am very uh, very amenable to to allowing folks out there. Well, if people want more information about the course or ways to contact you, what's the best way to do that? Best way to do that is our Facebook page, Black Diamond Obstacle Course on Facebook. Uh, you can reach reach me through there. Um, all of our information, any open training days or race information or things like that are always going to be posted on there. My contact info is on there as well. Cool. Now, one of the things I love about this is not only are you an athlete and a racer, but you're also on the business side of the industry too. And that's what I, I really love seeing that. So let's talk about you as an athlete. What else do you have coming up for the rest of 2018 or if, if you have any big plans for 2019? 2018, I'm still – so so I'm kind of a uh, – as I'm on this podcast with you guys, I'm kind of a media whore. I like being on TV. I like doing those type of things. So I've got a couple uh, of options going on for uh, either later this year or next year. They haven't quite figured out exactly when the days are but uh, or when the, sh- the airing is going to be. Um, but I can't really talk about those. But hopefully those are going to be in the works. Um, I'd love to be able to get in that T- uh, TMX uh, next year. Uh, I couldn't make 
so this year they, they had three qualifiers they were going to do. One was going to be in Minnesota, and I was planning on going to that one, and they canceled that one. Um, and ah. I, couldn't make, I couldn't make the Miami or the Sacramento, or I think it was Sacramento. I couldn't make those other two, so I didn't get on this year. Um, but that, that is my type of race, the TMX. That's, you know, a, it's a short course, which is my ideal thing. Um, and all the strength events and the CrossFit type stuff, that's what I spent my whole winter doing this year was CrossFit. I, I entered the games this year, uh, the Open. Um, that's how'd you do? I did fine. I mean, I, I didn't make it to regionals or anything. I'm not, I'm not a CrossFit athlete. I'm not a serious CrossFit athlete. I like to do it. Um, but you know, I I finished top 50 in my region, which wasn't enough to move on, but it was, I was perfectly happy with that. So, yeah. So, um, I can hold my own, but I'm not, you know, it's, it's when you get to those heavy, heavy weights, because I still spend a lot of time running. I can't get up there, um, to the heavy, heavy weights yet, but that's, I'm also an old dude, so. It's, uh, it's going to get harder and harder as the years go on. But um, as far as this year goes, I only have um, – I've got uh, two races left to go. I've got the DRX games, which I'm going to compete in, so I'm hosting and competing in it. Um, and then we've got another one in uh, – actually, I have two in December that I'm doing. So I spent more time this year focusing on getting my course ready and getting my race ready than I did on actual my, my racing. So um, I went to all the local events that we have, the Ohio OCR Grand Slam, and I didn't do any major events. I didn't do any Spartan races. I didn't do any Savages, anything like that. Um, I spent all my time doing the local events. Cool. Now, when you say you're a media whore and you're trying to get on some TV <laughs> episodes, are they OCR-themed, or should I expect you to see you on The Bachelor or something like that? No, no, no. <laughs> They're all sports or athletic-related. Okay, just uh, checking. Not, maybe not necessarily ocr uh, but yeah, there, there's definitely you know like Ninja Warrior. I wouldn't call it. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those right. Are athletic. athletic yeah. No, we'll have to keep it posted so we can tell everybody. Right. I don't think my wife would be too happy if I got on The Bachelor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or like Jersey Shore, but Ohio's <laughs> version or something like right. that. No. And I, I'm joking about being the media whore. It just it's it, it's uh, I I I feel comfortable on the camera. I feel comfortable talking to people. So. I'm, you know, I have a couple shows that I've done, so I might as well kind of take that and and I'm only going to be, it. yeah, I'm only going to be young once. I might as well keep trying to add to that. So, it's awesome. Cool. So we're gonna. I know Leah's got to go pretty soon. So before we take off, normally we do when I have three people on the podcast, we do tell us something that people would be surprised to know about you. So I know I didn't prep you for this ahead of time, <laughs> but all right, Jason, you're gonna go first, and then we're gonna go to Leah. Uh, okay, so something that people don't know about me, huh? Yeah, people would be something people would be surprised. Or if Leah, if you got something, you can go first. Leah, if you've got something, you go right ahead because I'm gonna have to think about this thing. Oh, um, um people. Well, okay. I mean, it might be a cop out, but I don't think so. Um, <laughs> people who have recently met me may not know that I used to be pretty overweight. And um, totally out of the fitness game. I'm not one of those people that, um, you know, grew up running and, you know, high school track and all that good stuff. I was like many um, new moms and found myself pretty overweight and inactive. So got myself in shape, lost about 60 pounds, and now wow. I find myself in the OCR world. That's so fantastic. I met you when you, I guess you'd been only, you'd been in OCR for a couple of years already, or at least you'd lost a dramatic amount of weight because I remember seeing a picture of you online. It was like a, you know, you did like a throwback post or something. And I was like, what? I was like, that is not the same person. I could not believe it. Yeah. It's pretty so. cool. We recently relocated. We live down in Atlanta now. So nobody who knows me down here knows 
the old me. Yeah. So when I mention stuff like that, nobody believes it, but that's what I'm proud of. And even from like a year ago, you're a lot visibly you look a lot fitter than you did a year ago. I'll say that. Focus, focus training. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Leah, did OCR make that change for you, or did you make that change and then find OCR? A little bit of both. Um, I made the ch- the main change first. Um, I mean, when I first started, my my heaviest I was four foot ten and one hundred and seventy five pounds. So wow. I was pretty big. Um, so I lost the, the bulk of it first and then got into OCR and then I've been involved in the sport since mm, 2012, late, late 2011. Um, so as the years have gone by with, with racing and focus training and, you know, lifting and running, then, you know, uh, the transformations continued. Well, that's great. All right, Jason, you're up. Yep. All right. So um, I don't know. I don't try and, and give off this persona, but a lot of people tell me all the time that I'm intimidating. Um, it's probably because I don't smile a lot. It's not because I don't try to. It's just my natural face is not a smiling face. I've got that natural I'm a hard ass face, I guess. Um, so the male think, version of resting bitch face. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's, that's actually I, I agree with that. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so I. I <laughs> If, if you get to know me, I'm actually, you know, I, I try and be funny all the time. I'm very sarcastic. But the one thing that most people won't know about me is that um, I cry at movies all the time. So, like, the the sappy, you know, my kids watch Frozen, and I cried the first three times I saw it. And, you know, those types <laughs> of things. Yeah, I know. It's it's pretty silly, but um, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, you know, in tune with my emotions, I guess, even though outwardly I may not show that. So That's a good one. I'm going to go with... So for my job, I learned uh, Persian Farsi. So that's I, I speak I speak English and I speak Farsi, which is what they speak in Iran and actually Western Afghanistan. So I'm not fluent, but I can get by. So like if you need me to go like order food at a restaurant or rent a car or get a hotel room or just do some general introductions, I can uh, I can get away with that. But yeah, and I so it was also obviously uh, for Farsi the script is in Arabic, so I can read I can you know I can read i'm using air quotes here farsi um somewhat like i can sound out the letters and i can you know if i the letters uh for farsi and arabic are basically the same there's a couple of small differences but you know if if the sign is transliterated so it's it's sounds the same in english as it does in arabic i can mm-hmm. essentially read uh the arabic text so huh? cool. some, something kind of interesting but all right before we go last uh shout outs jason any shout outs sponsors family friends etc uh, sure. Let's go. Let's go sponsor route. Uh, I'm a, I am a fellow Hammer Hammer uh, Nutrition sponsored athlete. Uh, Boom. Are, so, uh, mm-hmm. um, got them. Uh, Swiftwick socks are my sock supplier. Those things, if you haven't tried them, they are fantastic for OCR. Um, and that works got, well because Hammer's socks are Swiftwick. <laughs> yes, they are. I, oh, I discovered that, that uh, they they sent us a, a package and they were Swiftwick. I'm like, hey, look at that. Um, <laughs> Two version one stuff. Right. And then uh, I'm also sponsored by uh, Ultra Running, so they've got a, a fantastic um, OCR shoe called the King MT that uh, I exclusively wear. Um, not exclusively; everybody else can wear it too, but that's the only thing that <laughs> I wear. So. <laughs> oh yeah! I recently started racing in, in Kings, and I'm a big fan of them. They're, yeah, they're they're fantastic shoes. So those are those are my shoutouts, and of course my uh, my wife and my kids who will probably never listen to this, but you know, hey, hi guys, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Leah, what do you got? Um, sponsors, Sport Kelp, 
anyone who knows me sees me on the course wearing my kilt. Um, and Pickle Juice Sport is a newer sponsor of mine, um, and I swear by the stuff. Love it. Um, especially helpful on mountain courses, and I'm definitely going to have some in my kilt at Norium. And for my Neptune Pro team, um, most of us are formerly Battlegrounds members, but we are um, still together as the Neptune team, um, and we will be at Norium. And this will come out after Norim, so we uh, will just a see heads you up. guys at Norim. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, I'm going to give a quick shout-out to Softleet. Uh, I'm not sure when I'm going to release this. It will be before the end of August. So uh, if you haven't listened to the Softleet podcast I was on, head over and listen to that. I talk about them a little more about the business side of OCR and uh, just kind of some general information about the sport, kind of – Interesting talking to people who are on the outside. You know, we have like our own little bubble of OCR where we all kind of know each other and know some of the gossip and stuff like that. It was kind of interesting talking to people about the sport from an outside perspective. Um, so head over and check that out. And then I've got a couple of articles coming out on Softleet uh, that talk about quitting, specifically for like endurance racing. So I think those articles are really good. I put a lot of effort into them. I've actually had them prepared for a while. And I actually talk about uh, the TV show, The Selection, in there. And use a lot of empirical data from some of the training and races I've done on quitting. And then on top of that, uh, Mud Run Guide, obviously uh, always putting out articles on there, so definitely head over and check that out. I got uh, weekly articles coming out specifically for Endure the Gauntlet and then some product reviews on some recent items. Uh, if you haven't head over to the Strength and Speed store, please do. We now have uh, Boko Trucker Hats. They are awesome. Yeah, you'll see if you head over to Instagram, you can see Leah in one of them on the uh, Strength and Speed Instagram page or her Instagram page. And those, the cool thing about those hats are, so they are, you know, we had one of the teammates essentially donate them. So if you buy one of those, 100% of the proceeds go to the charity Folds of Honor. So uh, definitely a good thing to do. Um, you know, having a podcast does cost money. So if you, you know, if you like the content we're putting out, Head over and buy something, and you know this is a great opportunity because it's 100% charity focused. So, you know we appreciate any support you can give, whether it's directly to the charity or uh, through another item in the Strength and Speed store. But you know when you buy that stuff, it lets us know we're putting out decent content, and we should keep going and keep producing podcasts and keep producing content for you guys. So go over and check that out. We're gonna get going. Jason and Leah, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And we will see, or I will have seen you at Noram when this is out. Yep. <laughs> All right, Leah. And uh, Jason. Mm-hmm. See you.